Hey, 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 it is Friday, October 15th, 2021. This is Success Never Sleeps. I am Brandon Beliso, as always, where we as a collective of disruptive thinkers, people that are looking for new and innovative ways, but yet we are rooted in our values. We're rooted in our vision for what we create our version of success and happiness should be. And that's what's really neat about this. We come together. I would never tell you what to do, but I would inspire you through my thoughts and actions and words to cultivate your own version of success. And I love our disruptor group where I witness people coming in there with new ideas. And what I love is, you know, anyone, critics are just critics. They're going to shoot your ideas through the holes. Imagine what they said to Disney. Everybody rejected Disney. Everybody turned down the Beatles, right? Everybody. That's why they ended up on Apple Records. So, you know, critics are just critics. I think this is your life and the ability to lift your head up and be proud of who you are and what you do. And the way you're doing your life is really what it's about. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. So always water that grass beneath your feet. Cool, cool, cool. I want to begin always by thanking my sponsors because without them, there would be no show, right? Beginning with my studio. My studio, Tulay and the gang. I love you guys out there. I just got back from Virginia where we did the My Studios Business Summit. And it was cutting edge. It was innovative. It was disruptive. And I dig it. I mean, when did we have an app-based CRM? Right? They were the first to truly produce it effectively. Now, there's other people doing it, and I'm grateful to see that. I don't believe they're competitors. I believe they are rivals, and they're pushing each other to raise their game. You know, LeBron and, and Steph Curry have this rival, but they're always elevating each other's game. And I dig that about my studio. Kids of Life Skills, you need a character development system. If you don't have one, you need to have one. And please do not let our egos get in the way and think for one minute because we are black belts, so we are qualified to teach character development. I've spent roughly 10, 15 years now cultivating content, studying child psychology, studying methodologies of teaching, and of course, being a parent with three kids, the oldest one is in his 40s, teaching for well over 20 years working with kids. I have my own take on that. And I think that's what makes it unique because data is just data. We understand working with children, there's certain data, and that's always changing. That's always changing now with the influence of social media and now the pandemic. Data is going to come out decades from now that how the pandemic has changed children and how they think and feel and act is going to be different. So we need to always be on the edge of that. And I'm very proud of Kids Love Life Skills. We just moved to a subscription-based model, reach out to Marco Mazzola, get signed up, and we want to partner with you in character development. If you are in your community and you are the go-to for life skills education, you separate yourself from the true competitors. And who are they? Soccer, baseball, swimming, gymnastics, dance, cheer. Those are the ones we're competing with. Cool? LC Accounting, Letitia, I mean, my sister's been my angel through this whole pandemic. We were discussing that the other day. We have gotten roughly half a million dollars in grants, PPPs, and all of it has been forgiven. Half a million dollars. And I'm very grateful and blessed to say that, right? We're in the 1%. We pay a lot of tax dollars. So to be able to reap that back from our, our, our country and our government, it's a good day. So thank you to my sister at LC Accounting. Market Muscles, we just got the announcement, right? February 4th and 5th, it's 3rd through the 5th for if you're a Market Muscles or a Pulse client. But everybody else, it's February 4th and 5th. 
market muscles, they are without a doubt the leader in website development. And, you know, I've been talking to Stephen about this for, for years. I want to do a martial arts event where everybody's invited. Well, Stephen being the innovator that is, he got the jump on me. So market muscles at this event, he's also going to have 97 display there. Scratch your head on that one. Who's bold enough to put another leading website company side by side with yours? And they're speaking. Houston Goodwin will be speaking. That's innovation. That's confidence in your product. And I'm very proud of Stephen for making that move. That ultimately is what I think we need to do. We see all these different events and they're very compartmentalized and they're segregated. And one group will throw it and push their speakers and their products. I'm really proud of Stephen for having that vision and foresight to execute on that level. So big hand to all my sponsors. I love them all. I think they're brilliant and I'm blessed to have them. It's time life changes coming up, folks. We know that. We know that, right? The four event is sold out. I believe there might be one or two spots available, but the two-day event, November 13th and 14th, is still open. It'll be right here in Millbrae, California. It's only five minutes from SFO, and we plan it that way. I know a lot of the small school owners have to fly out on Sunday night. We wrap up the event at 6, they're five minutes to the airport, and then they get on a plane and go. We understand that. This event is cutting edge, it's innovative, and we're cultivating content with thinking forward. If you believe our business is going to be the same as it was pre-pandemic. I don't know. I've got some swampland in Florida I can sell you. It's a whole different day. It's a whole different way. And we need to be mindful of that. You know, we need to step up to the plate. We need to understand that things have changed dramatically. We've lost 35% of the industry. I believe when it's all done, the fallout's going to be closer to 50. It truly will. And if everyone just keeps doing business the same old way, then we will get 1% of the population doing martial arts. Even with the influence of Cobra Kai being out there, you know, Shang... The, the, the new uh, Marvel movie, right? Uh, we have that. We have Kung Fu. The series is back. We just had Mortal Kombat. With all this exposure, including UFC, why is it still that 1% of the population does martial arts? Because I believe fun fundamentally as a business across the board, we need to change our mindset. We need to change our practices. We need to change the way we do business. I've always felt that. And that's why I believe the majority does not reap the benefits and the minority makes all the money. This is the one I'm interested in. The small school or the other 99% that are not making the kind of money that the 1% makes. So you are my passion. You are my purpose. Come to It's Time Live Change. Look in the feed here. Marco will post all the different, all the different links to get signed up for that. Because I'd love to see you there. I really, really would. And I think you need to be there. Let me make sure I got the right one. Let me get rid of that. Yep, delete that slide. Thank you. This is the one I want. Okay. Make sure I'm on the right day, huh, Marco? So, what are we talking about today? You know, I'm going to share with you. We're going to talk about special needs students. And I'm going to bring in Eric and I'm going to bring in Jeremy to support me on that in just a minute. Um, let me share where we're at today. I've been working with kids with special needs for well over 20 plus years. I shared at the top of this before we went live, I have a nephew who's a black belt that has Down syndrome. So I've been exposed and I've worked with kids with special needs for a long, long time. And what happened was 20 some odd years ago, somebody walks through the door and they said, well, you know, you were recommended to me by a therapist. They said martial arts can be a really good form of therapy for kids with special needs. And I didn't understand anything at the time. But of course, being hungry and, and wanting more students, I said, sure, sure, come on in. And honestly, I stumbled and fumbled in the dark for probably the first five years. 
right? Because I was too proud to say, I'm a black belt, but I'm a white belt in working with children with special needs, right? I have no idea. What's the, what's the spectrum? What's the spectrum? Where do they sit on the spectrum? What is sensory integration disorder, right? What is ADD in reference to ADHD, right? I mean, on and on and on. I was totally green. But gratefully, you know, I invested a lot of learning into that. Now, I've never cultivated into a product because I still don't believe I'm well-versed. I have so much to learn. That terrain is changing every day. They're discovering new medicine, new procedures, new processes. But the one thing I do understand is that a heart level, if we can connect with anybody, whether they have special needs or not, then there's a unique experience we can create. I have a studio in San Francisco, and one room is dedicated for all my private lessons. I've had a standing private lesson with a boy with special needs for 15 years now. Yeah, I mean, that's how far. And this room has no mirrors. It's completely white, and there's no distractions. So it's also being mindful of that, but it's always going to be a process of learning. So when I bring on Eric and Jeremy, that's what it's going to be about. Right. I, I want us to, for a minute, take off our black belts, put them aside, right, and really ask ourselves, number one, do we want to serve this demographic? Because, you know, is it in your wheelhouse? And we have to be willing to know our limitations and who we want to work with. And because you don't choose to work with children with special needs doesn't make you a bad person at all. And we've had this conversation, right? But if you are going to do it, I believe we need to do it right. And when I share that room in San Francisco with people, they go, wow, this is a trip. All the walls are white. You have nothing hanging on them, right? Why is that? And there's no mirrors in here. It's very important. You want to create an optimal learning environment. And I've been very blessed to be able to work with children with special needs for well over 20 plus years now. So let me see if I can get them in here. Let's, let me get, get the guys in here and see if we can make this all work. Admit all. Dun, dun, dun. Let's see if this all goes the way I want it to. And let me know, Marco, that you can see the screen and you can see the guys. Let me know. Let me know. Hey, Eric, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Professor. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you. And I can hear you fine. Marco, do we got everybody live? I just want to make sure everybody out there can hear us. Give it to me, Marco. Make sure I'm seeing that. Jeremy, are you there, sir? I got to ask Jeremy to unmute. He's not unmuted. And I'm looking at a tree. Come on, Jeremy. See if we can get him in here. And I think Jeremy's very unique because he, he works with people with special needs and he has special needs. So it's, I think his vision is very, very unique. And that's why I think it's important. Jeremy, who's been a huge advocate for me, gratefully. Um, I'm very blessed and grateful to have Jeremy in my corner most days. Let's see. Marco, are, 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 are we good? Yeah? Good. Marco, text that to me. I, I want to know that we can see Eric, because I'll get started with Eric then, and, and we'll begin there while Jeremy's trying to get aboard, okay? Jeremy Richards sent a photo. Let's see what Jeremy has to say here. No, you are unmuted, Jeremy. I asked you to unmute yourself, sir. Unmute. Ask to unmute. You have to unmute yourself, sir. I'm pressing your ask to unmute, sir, and, and you've got to unmute. And I'm going to ask you to start your video as well because I can't see you, sir.
All right, Eric. So you're at the forefront of this, and I'm really proud of you. You, you know, you and I have met years ago. I have a really cute picture of you and I at the Super Show, where both of us are sitting in the front row like this, with our heads tilted, and we're learning together. So let's go right for it. What do you think are the three biggest mistakes martial arts instructors make when working with children with special needs? So before we, as we wait on Jeremy, just give everyone a quick background on who you are and where you're at as, as, as a... I, I would call you a leader because you've been working with people with special needs for a long time. Can I kind of give sure. them an overview? So I have a martial arts school in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And my first exposure with a person with a disability was in about 2013 when a young man came into the studio and he had a uh, neurodegenerative disease called Friedrich's ataxia. And it affects your cardio, it affects your balance. And this young man said to me, I have always wanted to do martial arts and a lot of the other schools in the area will not take me on because I have this balance issue and I'm always falling down. And his mom and dad said, if you do nothing else but teach our son how to fall so that he doesn't hurt himself, that will be a win. And so the first four weeks I spent teaching him how to fall, but he had such passion to learn the martial arts and he had such a will, I said, I have to figure out a way to help him live his dream. And I knew just teaching traditional Taekwondo was not gonna work. So we would have to adapt the techniques that we were working on. The other thing I knew is, as you said in your introduction, we have to be aware of what our capabilities are. And I knew I did not know a whole lot about physical disabilities. Right. I had students in my studio who are autistic, but I had a very basic understanding. And unless you dig into it, unless you take the time to educate yourself, then you are doing a disservice to yourself and to your students. So I started looking for resources. And there's a gentleman out of Canada who had a uh, certification course and a training course about people with physical disabilities. And it went through physical autism, everything. I mean, it was a six-month course, but I came out of there with a lot of information that helped me understand underlying issues and also what I needed to go consult with experts about. So as martial artists, we think we're a black belt. We don't necessarily like to go and say to somebody, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? That is the most important thing that you can do. I also volunteer at an organization that provides sporting opportunities to people with disabilities, physical disabilities. I ran a 10K race with a visually impaired runner. I saw um, that, yeah. So they are a resource for me because I can talk to them and say, hey, I've got a student, he's coming in and this is his physical limitation or this is his intellectual limitation. I don't know quite the right approach to take with him. What do you, th what do you think I should do? So if you want to work with this community, you have to educate yourself. I agree with you, and, and, and I, I'm really an advocate for going outside of our industry because I do believe the information within our industry is very limited. And, and, and the fact that you've done that, I think that's a good lead for a lot of us. Um, for me, it was UCSF. Uh, and, and they started referring me and I'm going, whoa, 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 these therapists are referring all these people to me just through word of mouth and the work I was doing. See, I, I think for me, what I understand is, you know, sometimes therapists look at the diagnosis. Say you have autism. You can do ABC. 
you can't do DEF. So they'll sit in ABC all day long because they can go home and feel warm and fuzzy and successful. Me, honestly, out of my ignorance, out of my pure ignorance, I went for DEF, mm-hmm. right? Like one of the things the therapist would, they would come in and they would, you know, audit me because he wanted to make sure the referrals were happening. And I knew I had half a brain. And they said, you know, one therapist has said to me, a kid with autism can't look at you because it's painful, it's, it's, you know, so that's why they tend to look away when they talk to you. I said, I understand that. Okay. But that's Abe. But if he could look at me, couldn't we connect on a heart level and we get past? He's just wired differently, right? He's just wired differently. But if I could connect to his heart, then we can really create this different type of relationship. And so kids with autism are looking me dead in the eye, you know, and they're going, he can't do that. I'm going, but you're seeing it. He can do it. So I think that's often the narrowness that comes in, because I want to go home at the end of the day and feel good about what I did, right? Mm-hmm. So we stay in ABC. But I do understand this is messy. This DEF area is messy. And I had a kid from Boston used to come out. He was about 22, couldn't speak at all, right? He had a he autistic. And yeah, he hit me in the head one time with a weight, because you know, he had really low muscle tones. So we were using three-pound weights. And I was tying his shoe or something, and he hit me in the head with a weight. And, and I'm willing to take that. You know, I'm cool with that, but I do believe you're right. If we have a, a certain amount of learning, if we understand the diagnosis and we understand ABC, that we will be brave enough to venture into this. And that's what I think makes the martial arts very unique and why traditional therapists and traditional practices will refer kids to martial arts because we can do something very unique. But if we try to just throw them into a regular class and make them do everything like everybody else, we can admit collectively, right? And Jeremy, I'm glad you're here with us now, you know, that sometimes martial arts is not the best fit and martial arts is not the best form of therapy. Are you willing to raise your hand and agree with me on that? Yeah. And, and I, and, and I think that humility is important in that process. I'm so glad you guys are here because, as I shared, I've worked with kids with special needs for 20 years, but I don't advocate. I still believe I'm such a white belt, so I don't go out there and push in that, you know, I know a lot, but mm-hmm. I do. So, Jeremy, you know, before we answer that question, Jeremy, you are a person with special needs. Please, let's be politically correct. So I want to make sure when we work with people with special needs today – Disability, special needs, limitations. I've heard you say all three, Eric, but Jeremy, for somebody with special needs in the martial arts, what is politically correct? Um, Politically correct, from my understanding, is usually people with special needs. I've always just called it as a disability or a challenge. I like challenge. It varies from person to person. Yeah. I don't like the word disability. I personally don't. I stuttered as a child and I I felt that isolation. I actually didn't speak till I was six years old because people would tease me. And I know that's not a major disability, but to not be able to open your mouth without being ridiculed and criticized and laughed at, you know, it was a disability. And I, that's what they called it back then. And I used to work with a therapist every day after lunch. So I personally don't care for the word disability. You know, I like special needs. I like challenge. I think that's a great word. And maybe collectively we can agree. Maybe in the martial arts we'll say, you know, you have a challenge. I like that. I like that. But if it's politically correct to say special needs or disabilities and that makes us not appear, makes us more knowledgeable, then I'm cool with that too. So, Jeremy, you say special needs is okay or challenge? Absolutely. 
Okay. Absolutely. Great. So, hey, Jeremy, g give everyone a little backstory on you. All right. Well, I was born with spina bifida. What is time. that, please? Please tell um, me what that is. It's where the um, bundle of nerves at the base of the spine doesn't fully um, close. And so oftentimes the nerves are exposed. Therefore, it can cause different deficits, such as mobility and um, uh, fine motor skills and things like that. Okay. Cool. And, and Jeremy, tell, tell us about your work with children with special needs. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I started out because that's what my instructor did. But um, prior to that, I had always had the dream of being in martial arts. But I had been turned down by instructor after instructor because they said they weren't qualified. I had some even laugh when I mentioned it. And so when I started training under my instructor, um, he, the way he's done the curriculum we always teach everybody else to become teachers. So therefore I started to learn to teach, not thinking it's something I would ever do, but then I would start working with other students while I was just a student myself. And we started getting a wide range of students from people with cerebral palsy to those with blindness, autism. Um, you know, it's been, I've been teaching officially as a certified instructor for I think 11 years now. Excellent. Excellent. That's beautiful. So here's the first question. People, you're here. Ask those questions. Don't be afraid. You, you know, I know we don't want to appear uneducated, but ask these hard questions. So here's one that came to me across the wire. What are the three biggest mistakes martial arts instructors make when working with special needs children? Eric, why don't you go first? So one of the things is we don't take the time to find out what the student wants to accomplish and find out what they're capable of accomplishing. We make assumptions that, oh, they've got a disability. They wouldn't want to do this. They are not capable of doing that. But if you take the time to get to know them, you will find out and then you will serve them better. I mean, when I was yeah, training... Just hold that thought, hold that thought, Eric. But I will admit, and you guys will agree with me, Many parents, much like in our camps and other environments, they won't even tell us their child has a special need. And there's a whole sector of parents that are in complete denial that won't even get their child tested, right? You guys agree? We've all experienced that. So do you think we should produce a type of questionnaire or is there three or four questions that let them open up to us in your experience? And either of you can answer that because that's what I run up against. I'll find out three months in, oh, my child's a high-functioning autistic. I'm going, why didn't you tell us that from day one? Well, I think for most schools, they want to kind of develop some type of intake form that gives the parent the opportunity to do that. Because of what we do in the community and because we get referrals from the Autism Society and ABA therapists, people are pretty upfront when they come in or when they call. They say, our child is, has been diagnosed. And here's the key thing. They have been formally diagnosed or we suspect. Ah. And you're right. Parents are, some parents don't know that their child is on the spectrum because they haven't quite put all these symptoms together to say that. But a lot of times, and we can't diagnose the child. That's one thing we cannot do. You know, we can uh, suggest resources or articles for them to refer to and learn. But um, a lot of times, if they're not aware that their child is on the spectrum, I'm not gonna go out there and say, hey, 
you need to go get your kid tested. Right. And, and I think we have to be very sensitive. So, Jeremy, if you were to approach somebody in the school that, you know, because I know a lot of parents are in denial. My son had delayed motor skills. And first, me and my wife looked at each other like, what? What do you mean? What's wrong with my kid? Am I an inadequate parent? What's wrong with me? You know, I went through that whole head trip, you know, when we when my son had delayed motor skills. And I know that may not be a major need, but it is a need. And we felt very inadequate at parents. And we were in denial at first. So how can we make parents feel comfortable, Jeremy? What could we say? What would be the one icebreaker to just at least, you know, open that door to yeah, create that um, the way I've always done it is when I get a new student, I ask the parent what their strengths are and what their challenges are, because that gives us the um, form where if they mention, hey, my child struggles with this or struggles with that, it opens the door up where they're comfortable telling you, um, you know, there may be more going on and you can make suggestions based on that. They almost want your input at that time. Right. But if they're in denial and they even haven't had their child tested, uh, we had a new student this week and the mom asked me that, what do you think? And I said, I'm not a professional. I am not licensed or certified to answer that question for you. I do believe that we can help work on their focus. And you and I agree that's a challenge, but I am in no way, shape or form qualified to tell you whether your child needs to be tested or not. I think we need to be humble enough to stay within our wheelhouse, you know, and I even remind my team, you know, one person said, well, I think they have special needs. I says, you can't say that. Please do not assume because they're not focusing in class that you can just spout off to another team member in passing or to the parent, have you ever had them tested? I think in all my years of experience, you know, they have special needs because parents want validation. They want to know my kid doesn't have special needs and that's why they're in denial and won't get them tested. But is there some type of, you know, what are their strengths? What are their challenges? Where do you go from there, Jeremy? Usually I see, you know, I base it on the person. And when they, if they say, you know, they need help with this, I won't act like it's necessarily a special need. I'll say, you know, this is my experience and um, we can look at it from different angles and we'll find what works for your child. And then, you know, it's up to you to choose if you want to investigate it more. But should we pre-frame that with we are not qualified to give you an, an assessment on that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very diligent about that. Well, you've worked with kids for so many years. I saw at your website, da, 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 and it says you, and I said, but I'm ever mindful of that. I am not a licensed therapist or physician. I cannot give you that. I, I simply cannot. So Eric, what do you think is the second biggest mistake? You know, other than not going out there and getting proper education, what do you think is the next biggest mistake martial arts school owners make? Because I think it's a huge turnoff, and that's why I want to start with this. You know, if we shut the door on them like that, Jeremy, I think that's, that's awful that people would laugh and turn you away. I think it's horrible. And it, you know what it is? I, that would, if I was in that and I behave that way, it's my own lack of education, insecurity, and fear. You know, it truly is. So what do you think, Eric, is the second biggest mistake we as martial arts school owners make? It's uh, we t we try to teach them like any other student and don't understand, you know, when they don't behave the way that we expect them to behave, 
then we overreact or we make the situation work because we're too rigid, right? We're trying to make them fit into our box, right? They're not going to fit into that box. They're going to get close, but we have to meet them where they are because we have to understand they see things differently. You said it. They see some kids, they don't want you to take their picture. They won't look at you in the eyes. Some don't like the sound of a kiosk because they have sensory Sensory. issues. So you have to see what is causing the discomfort or causing the misbehavior, right? So that's one thing we've got to understand that we've got to adapt to the student, not expect the student to adapt to us. I agree. You know, Michael J. Fox said that so well. If a student doesn't learn the way we teach, then we should teach the way they learn. And, and I witnessed that because, you know, some kids with special needs, they'll lie down on the floor and curl up in a fetal position. They'll spin. They have, you know, impulse behavior. And you watch that rigid martial arts instructor. They want everybody at attention. What should you be doing right now? Stand at attention. So I'm mindful that when I work with my team, say, if that happens, Lay on the floor with them. That's really cool, buddy. But right now, you know, let's, this is what will help us get stronger. So you're right. I think that rigidness, because it makes us look inadequate, right? I'm sorry. You know, it it does. You know, I always felt that way in the beginning. I felt inadequate, right? I look like a bad teacher. He's not standing at, at attention like a good soldier, right? He's disobedient. He's misbehaving. He's not listening to me. No. He's simply being a kid with ADHD. That's what he's doing. That's what they do, right? And, and I think that that type of mindset is important. But on the yin to the yang of that, that mistake of simply trying to integrate them into a regular class and then everyone's at attention and they're the only one spinning and laying on the floor and the parent's sitting there like this because it's the parent we also have to be mindful of too. Yes. They're looking for a solution. They're looking for support. And if everybody else has fallen in line singing the same song and their child is the only one who's not, it actually amplifies, right? And to the common eye, they might think the child's misbehaving, yeah. right? And so, Jeremy, knows. Jeremy, what, what do you think is another mistake we make as school owners? The biggest thing is probably to get caught up in fear, fear of what you don't know, the fear of being willing to learn what you don't know. And the fear of working with something outside your box. If, you know, say this child, you expect him to fit into a square box, but their, you know, their situation is more of a circle. You got to learn. You got to find those edges and learn where you're weak at so that you can be better for them. Okay. And that leads into the next question. I think we've already answered it, but maybe we can dive a little deeper. Are martial arts always a good fit for special needs children? No. No, no. So how do we assess that? You know, we know they have a special need and we want to serve them. And sure, they may not behave as the, like the majority of our students in class. So how do we confidently make that assessment? Because like Jeremy, I think it's horrible. People turned you away when you wanted to do martial arts, even laughed out of their own ignorance. So how can we with confidence and humility have a process? You know, I'm really big on systems. I'm really big on processes. So how would you do that within your environment? What type of evaluation process? What system do you have, Eric? So we have a uh, pre-evaluation that we use. And off of that pre-evaluation, we also do uh, two weeks of free classes. So it gives them four classes to attend. And what does that, that look like? What does that evaluation look like? 
So we go through various, we do some punching, we do some kicking, we do some balance exercises, we do some focus exercises, we do some uh, drills where there's a metronome beat and seeing if they're punching and kicking on the metronome beat. Why does that help? What does that tell you though? That will tell us if they have a sensory issue. So if, if they can't, I mean, a lot of people just have bad rhythm, Eric. Yeah, they do. But, <laughs> I don't you know, dance very well. I don't have very good rhythm. So yeah, if they're not punching you, with this metronome, what well, is that? You're, you're, you're identifying a potential issue or you're, identif or you're confirming that there is not. Because sometimes what we don't understand is we may be talking to the student, but the student's not hearing what we're saying. Yes, absolutely. Okay, because they may have an underlying condition. Because again... On the spectrum, you ha can have some students with hearing issues, right? So you've got to take them through an, an evaluation that kind of checks all the blocks in terms of how aware are they, how focused are they? And then off of that evaluation, in my school, I've got a regular class program where we try to get autistic students, if they're capable of being in that group class, to participate. And then we have a standalone program that is specifically for kids on the spectrum that deals with eight areas that we try to help them get better to eventually transition to a group class. What are the eight areas? So things like awareness, what's going on around them, right? Strength, condition, durability. Some of the- Give, give me one drill for awareness, one drill. So, uh, you take a pool noodle and when the pool noodle comes across, they have to duck under the noodle. So they have to be aware of what is going on outside of their field of vision. And so somebody who's not aware, traditionally, what diagnosis is that? Again, I'm not going to be in the position to say that that's uh, definitely autistic. It could be that they were distracted and looking out the window. Right? But it gives you an idea. You do it five times. All right. If they get if they miss on one and four other times they duck, yeah. then, you know, that's really not an issue. But if all four times, five times they're missing on it, there might be an underlying issue. Mm -hmm. there. So for both of you, I mean, you work with special needs kids a lot. It's, it's probably the more the majority. So how do we set that up, Jeremy, in our school if the majority of our students do not have special needs? Really, um, I try to keep them all in one class as much as I can. Yes. But if, because, you know, they want that, they, yes. that, um, social, you know, networking with everyone else. Yes. But sometimes I may have to take somebody and talk to their parents and them at the same time and say, you know, we may have to do it as a, you know, private class for a little while until we can get these certain areas built up enough to integrate them. Then we'll slowly give it a try. But we can't just assume, hey, they're going to go right into the regular class. And then it's just going to overwhelm them and drive them right out the door. So we got to be mindful if which class they're ready for or if they can do, you know, a little bit of both. Right. And because the spectrum is so wide that I believe a lot of it is experimentation and it is trial and error. The, the one boy I've been working with for 15 years, I'm so proud of him now, but you know, he had all, a lot of anxiety issues related to his special needs and things of that nature. So we were sitting together in a private lesson. I said, well, when do you feel most happy? When do you feel most calm? He says, when I'm playing with Legos. 
I said, okay, I want you to bring me your favorite Lego pieces next time we have a private lesson. So he brought in these Lego pieces and he, he had some sensory issues. And I said, well, why is this your favorite Lego piece? And he goes, well, I really like the ridges and the shape and the feel. I said, huh. And what do you feel when you do that? I feel really calm when I'm doing this. I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. You keep those three favorite Lego pieces in your pocket at all times. And all his anxiety issues in school leveled out. Because anytime he had, see, but the thing is we gave him an actionable plan. He was empowered. So if he started to get anxious in a, in a social environment, in went the hands and he starts rubbing the Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. And I would have never discovered that unless we had that type of conversation, right? Never, yeah. never. And, you know, I'm so proud. That was one of the moments I'm super, super proud of. Um, and so I think it's a lot of experimentation like that, like that. What, what, what's one, a goal to drill you would use jeremy in trying to evaluate i know we can't make the assessment we're not licensed but if you were to try to figure out where this kid is on the spectrum with autism what's a go-to drill that would almost give you a confident yes or no um that's it varies from student to student yeah. but um our system blocking is a main staple and as i watch the students try to go through block. I'm evaluating, is their hands, you know, crossing the center line? Are they um, putting dexterity across with the way they're doing this? Um, are they afraid? Because like you get somebody, even if you're not hitting them with anything hard, if their um, sensory perception is high, yep. if they, if they hear you make a noise or the touch of your skin against their arm, may cause them to panic. So you're watching for all their social cues because it's going to be different depending on what they're, but you can get a good idea. Are they afraid to be touched? Are they afraid of the sound? Um, I had one student, every time we had a thunderstorm, he, we couldn't have a class hardly. And I couldn't figure out at first what the cause was. And then I come to realize children with autism have sensory issues. So I talked to his father. I asked him, does he ever have any problems with thunderstorms? He's like, I never thought about it, but you're right. He does. So I said for a little while, let's take time. Only have class when it's not storming. If it's storming, we'll postpone class until we can slowly work him up to that. Then I started using music with loud bass in it to get him slowly, little by little used to those sounds. Cause Based to somebody with sensory issues, from my understanding, it's very sim similar to what they feel with a thunderstorm. That's very cool. But that's trial and error, too. It's not an exact exactly. science. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, an there's always going to be trial and error. Yeah. Do you know one that I've come across? Sequencing. We say one, two, three. They go three, one, two. No, one, two, three, two, one, three. And you go, wow, that's amazing. You know, so, I mean, we have every method possible now, right? If, if, if it's a combination one, two, three, we're going one, two, three and tapping the arm and leg for neurological stimulation, visual stimulation, you know, by doing it with them, sensory stimulation, by saying it with them, on and on. I mean, there's so many layers we can utilize to help empower that child. Um, but I do believe that 
it's important we start creating a higher level of awareness. I believe this is a demographic that deserves martial arts, and we as a collective across the board, I don't believe we're doing the best job. I mean, Absolutely. correct me if I'm wrong. There's small pockets and there's individual, but I believe as a whole, as a whole, it's in some environments very trendy, and people will say, yeah, there's another revenue stream, kids with special needs, but are they really doing the real work to serve that audience? Can I be bold enough to say across the board that we're not doing the best job? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially if someone's laughing and turning you away, uh, that's just horrible. That's horrible behavior. And it makes me ashamed to be a martial artist when I hear stuff like that. So should we schedule classes just for kids with special needs to offer the best learning experience? So, it depends on the student. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you got to meet where the student's going to be able to thrive. It may be in that group class, but it might be in a, you know, we run them both because we want to have the best fit for the student and the family. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the parent wants them. I mean, I know that we have, you know, kids with special needs in our after school program and the parents want them socialized and integrated into, you know, what normal for the lack of a better word, you know, a normal environment. They absolutely do. They don't want them isolated. That's why I love that movie, The Accountant. You ever watch The Accountant? Mm -hmm. I just that opening scene. I, I reference it to a lot of parents. You know, when they told him, we're going to keep your kid on this secluded farm, a controlled environment. He looked at them like, you're nuts. That's not the real world. And then he took his son out and bombarded him with, you know, with all the music and all that stuff. Now, answer me this, gentlemen. So if I set up this class, hypothetically for special needs, I've witnessed it. Sometimes you can't have a kid with sensory integration disorder, with a kid with autism, with, a, you know, they're, they're different with ADD. So what do you do about that? Because literally you could have 10 classes, two kids in one, three in another. How, how do you facilitate that? So you have to be aware of the chemistry that's going on within the room. And it's not just in spectrum classes. It happens in regular classes too, because you could have, you know, little Johnny sets off Timmy over there just because Timmy looked at him the wrong way. Yeah. But again, it's, you get to know the students and you get to know before we put them in the group, we've got to identify, we've got to make sure they're going to be in a, a good fit in that group or if we need to put them in a different group, right? And I'm going to go back to something that you said that's really important. By not putting them in a group class with other students, you, you made a connection with that student and discovered that that Lego brought him comfort. If that child was in a group class, would you have had that conversation? No, sir. Right? So this is why you might need those smaller style classes. You might also need more staff to help in those classes, which helps you segregate the students. I just started something with parent and child in class together. So a spectrum child with his parent working together on the floor. Because now if I have a group of parents with their students, with their children, they are working and they are an extension of me. Jeremy, what do you think was one of the single most impactful experiences you had, you know, with your instructor? What drill, what, 
empowered you? What made you, you know, after what you went through when you finally found the right instructor, the right environment, what was the single most moving thing they said or the single most drill that you use to this day that carries on in your work? Um, I think the biggest comment was because my instructor, he is an amputee himself. So therefore he knows some of the challenges. And he said to me, the only disability that you really have is the one that you believe exists. Everything else is just a challenge. Oh, write that down, Marco. Post it at our Disruptor group page. That, and then make sure we quote Jeremy on that. Say that one more time. That is amazing. The only disability that you that exists is the one that you believe in. Everything else is just a challenge to be overcome. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that makes my heart just, um, I mean, I want to cry. That's so profound. That's so profound. And that's brilliant. It's, and, and, it's, it's the truth. Yeah, but, but we witness it. You know, we see that despair in parents' eyes, you know, where they're just like, please tell me my kid's normal. Please. And, I, and I look at them, I say, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you any of that. I can't tell you to get them tested. I, can't I can tell you we'll do our best to teach them to focus. But you can see some parents come to us so desperate, right? You feel that desperation in their eyes. And to be able to offer a statement like that is powerful. And I try to let them know, too, that um, just because their child has something that the world may not perceive as normal doesn't mean they're not normal. It just means that they have a special area that needs a different approach. They are still a child. They're still like anybody else. They just have a different way. Cool. Okay, so focus is the big one, right? We got kids in a regular class. What are three go-to drills you use, Eric, that would instantly, you know, get that kid engaged and focused? I mean, we have it with our regular students, but now yeah. working with special needs students, what's a go-to, a go-to drill you can always pull out of your pocket and you know it's going to work 99.9% .9 of the time? Take a deep breath in and exhale. In for four, out for eight. Just get yourself centered. Yeah, I, 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 God, that's so amazing you say that. Data, data people. I have uh, a student that's been with me several years that's in our after school program. Anytime he becomes overwhelmed, that's exactly his go to. That's the exact go to. But do we stop the whole class? No, I mean, it's, it's a quiet conversation with that student. But you're in the middle of the heat of battle. You've got freaking 20 kids on the floor kicking and punching, and you see him start to break down. Yeah, you one of my team, one of my team will go and have that little conversation with him. Cool. Very because, cool. Again, you have to adjust your class sizes too, right? Yep. This is this is the big challenge for the martial but, arts. Okay, so would we charge more for that? We got 10 kids in a special class with extra staffing. Do you charge differently? Well, if they're in the special class is a shorter period as well. Ah, yes, 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 yes. So we how long, through, how long should do, those classes be? We do them as 30 minute sessions. Yes. Yes. Yep. Because again, yeah, you're, trying to to, you're trying to set them up in an environment that's going to be successful for them. Optimal. So yeah. I'm not going to have 20 in that class. I'm going to be somewhere between five and 10, depending on what else is going, what everybody's underlying issue might be. Is there a cap? Do you believe any, what is the student to teacher ratio then? If, what do you? again, depending on 
the situation. Sometimes it's uh, one to one, and if it's a one to one, then I'm going to limit to five kids. Yep. How about you, Jeremy? Exactly the same. Um, I I've done larger classes, but when you have special needs like that, it's better to either do one on one or keep it at a max of five people. Yeah. Unless you have enough staff there to help offset that, but one to five, that is the absolute max. Yeah, I get it. I mean, like I shared, I've had that one boy with special needs for close to 15 years now in private lessons, but he did his black belt test in a group and he rocked it. He rocked it in that group. It was awesome. It was awesome to witness that. You know, so what's a drill that you can use, Jeremy, your go-to drill? Um, honestly, for me, it's sticking hands like they use in Wing Chun. I'll, um, I'll go up to each student because it's something I can incorporate for the whole class. But it gets me close enough where I can talk the student through anything they're dealing with, get them to pay attention to just me. Everything else can kind of get blocked out. So you mean we'll, sticky, sticky hands as in Chi Sao? Yes. Chi Sao. Really? But, but if they don't like to be touched... See, that's another one. It has to change, though, depending on the student. But a majority of the students, you can do that. Now, um, some of them with touch issues, I found as long as I wear long sleeves, yeah, then they're fine with it. As long as it's not that skin to skin. I've got a rash guard, and that's what motivated me to wear my long sleeve rash guard. Is one time I was working with a kid, I just happened to have this freaking rash guard on, and the kid started doing this on my rash guard. And he was, t- look me square in the eye talking to me. I went, oh, amazing how this works, right? Because the feel of the rash guard is just perfect. It's a perfect texture. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the autistic students that I have, I didn't realize that he had an issue with being touched at first. But I noticed he would do everything he could not to block. To the point it was going to get him hit. I'm like, what is going on? Well, then one day, just by chance, um, I was doing a private class with him, and it was a cold winter's day, and I was running late. I just left my long sleeve shirt on, and I got working with him, and he did 10 times better. I'm like, what was different about today's class versus every other class? Yeah. And the only difference was that shirt. And then I got talking to his dad. Again, every class I try to talk to the parents before and after, get their insight, because they may say see something that they don't think is anything, but combined with what you just seen, it may be something huge. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that type of communication and not allowing it to be, you know, a skeleton in the closet or something. I mean, when I grew up, honestly, you know, we had cousins with special needs. They were the one on the back porch who slept on the cot by the washing machine. And when we had a family, when we had a family party, they're the ones sitting in the bedroom watching a TV w- with a TV tray in front of them. Remember those old fold-up TV trays? And I'm going, what's going on here? And you know, so that's what it used to be. That's what it used to be. I, I think the awareness is there. I-, I think understanding who we are and what is within our wheelhouse, as well as what we're passionate about. Listening to both of you, and as well as myself, we're extremely passionate about working with children with special needs. Extremely mm-hmm. passionate. And you know, like I said, I even have a room, a special room with nothing on the walls, all white walls, fully matted, that I work with my private lessons with special needs. And that go-to is important. You know, I'll always ask the parent, what's their coming? One kid has a book, 
a certain book. I think it's Ferdinand the Bull. So if he's having a challenge in class, you know, he'll sit down with Ferdinand for a minute. But we make sure we don't let him spend the whole class there. Okay, you get one minute of Ferdinand back into class. So we're mindful of that too. Um, what are resources? Let me start with you, Jeremy. What is the number one book we could all read or the number one YouTube person we should be following? You know, what is real solid, solid, not treading the waters? With... Yes. Honestly, I think it differs so much. I can't. I know. I, know. On one, one I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were um, going to say that. Thankfully for me, I've got instructors and people with more experience at it than I have even that I can go to. Um, so my thing is more find somebody that you feel is a good mentor for what you're wanting. A good to fit. Yeah, a good fit. Well, yeah. you know, again, I, I think, and that's one of the reasons I jumped all over it when you said you would be on the show because you have firsthand experience as somebody with special needs in the martial arts, you know, and that's the yin and the yang. And Eric, you've been working for a long time. So what do you think, Eric, is should be our number one resource? So uh, any book written by Temple Grandin, she's autistic. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant, um, but she was the person that I went to a seminar. What's with. the number one book? What's, I mean, because if she has a lot of books and Marco, if you can find the link and post that right away for us, that'd be really cool. What's her name? Can, can you spell her name? Temple, like T-E-M-P-L-E, Grandin. Yes. Um, I won't give you a book because, I mean, you got to look at them. They're, they're gonna, one of them is going to resonate with you. But she got me to understand that, again, People on the spectrum see the world differently. Yes. And they have, they have superpowers in other areas. So they may be very good mathematically, okay? Some of the most brilliant people have been on the spectrum. But the danger is we assume that everybody's going to turn out that way. Just because one person, you've met one person with autism, you've met one person. So as many great outcomes as there are, there are ones that are still a struggle. Uh, definitely loop in with your autism society in your area. They are a wonderful resource. They will, they give me access to people who come in and work with them if I don't have an answer to a question. And they're my go-to resource. So ABA therapists, they come in, they hear about the program that we're doing. And now I have a relationship with them they refer their clients to me, and then I refer students whose parents say, we need to get some resources. Do you know anybody? And we have flyers in our lobby and say, here, pick from these and go. You know, and it's your forte, it's your focus. What do you do if it's just, it's a smaller part of your revenue stream? It's a smaller part of your demographic. How can we still be effective, gentlemen, right? Because most schools, they're not in the position you are, Eric. They're not catering, you know, they don't have a section with pamphlets and stuff. So if it's a smaller revenue stream, how can we still be effective and have healthy boundaries of what we, are, what we can do and what we can't do? Well, you got to remember, I was small. I mean, I started with, you know, one. And really, the growth came from me going and volunteering time in nine county schools, right? That's right. what started this momentum growing. That's right. what built the reputation and gave the exposure and really helped me discover what my why was. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you're a unique, you know, for our industry, 
as so is Jeremy, I'm saying the majority, and you will agree, the majority of schools do not cater predominantly mm -hmm. to children with special needs. So if I predominantly, like in my case, right, we just broke 918 students again, I would probably say 30 to 40 of our students have special needs. And most of them are private lessons. How can I, with such a small demographic and resource, still be very effective in just that? Keep your curriculum for the individual instead of just the group. If Fast. your curriculum is best for the individual student, no matter if they have a special need or not, then it's going to reach everybody. But it has to be for the individual, not just for your traditional group class. Because by serving each person separately, you're also going to meet the needs of the group. Right. And there are, you know, there's an industry lead leader who has a program that's for kids on the spectrum that you can use for private lessons as well as, as group lessons. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, again, you know, stuttering wasn't, well, no, nobody knew what it was back then in 1969. You know, and, and like I said, back then there was zero awareness. There was no ADD, no ADHD, anything like that in the early 70s. So, you know, people were left just to their own devices. And I think that we've come a long way, but as an industry, we still got a lot of work to do. We really, really do. And what I'm going to ask and encourage is that, I'm going to challenge both of you right now at the Disruptor group page. Please be active, post tips, share videos. I believe you can help us tremendously by cultivating that awareness that we lack because it's not our main revenue stream, mm -hmm. right? Such so people will laugh when Jeremy comes in and wants to do martial arts. I mean, that's the type of lack of education we have and, you know, but I can't act inadequate. I'm a black belt. You can't do martial arts here, you know, because we're elite. No, I think we should be accessible to everybody. That's real, real important. And we, we're in a unique position to do that. And I believe moving forward, not just the pandemic, but moving forward, it is something that we as martial artists, because I'm getting referred all the time and I'm going, who am I? I'm just a freaking martial artist. Why are you sending kids to me? Right. And I feel inadequate every day, every day. You know, when a kid has a break breakdown and I don't know if it's, you know, if he needs a book, if he needs a hug, if I just need to give him space, if he needs to breathe in four times out for eight. You know, even with all the wisdom I have, I'm still like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, so that's what I'm asking to to help us, help us. And, and the Disruptor Group's a great page, but be consistent and support us. So, gentlemen, take us out. Take us out. What do you want to leave us with, Eric? And then I'll go to you, Jeremy. Uh, you know. I mean, what you just said was beautiful. I mean, every day you're going to feel inadequate, but you got to keep trying and you have to keep working towards building that connection and not give up on the student, not just a special needs student. We never want to give up on any student. So we got to find a way to connect. We got to find a way to raise them up and we got to give them the opportunity to be the best person that they can be. So when, when do we have enough humility to say, this is beyond my, my, my wheelhouse? I can't that, serve you. When do you get to, I mean, w when does that happen? There are going to be instances, unfortunately, where there, you can't help. That's the yeah. reality. 
Yeah. I mean, and yeah. you have to you have to accept that. And the parents are going to respect you more for having the guts to say to them, I can't help you. This is beyond what I'm capable of doing. Right. And as much as we want to, it's a hard thing to admit to yourself that you can't help somebody. But there may be that person that comes through that door. Yeah. Yeah, like the time I got the call and I came in in this back room, it was like poltergeist. Every tail table was turned upside down in the middle of the room. Every chair was thrown there and this kid was hitting my instructor. I'm like, whoa, you know, it was in a camp and we had all the kids out there isolated and removed, but it was just like, whoa. And, but the feeling when mom came to pick him up, mom comes, they walk outside, he's hitting his mom. And just the look of defeat on her face, it wasn't her first rodeo. She's been through this a number of times. It was sad, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we did. We felt very inadequate. We felt like we failed tremendously. And we had one in San Francisco where the kid tore up the school, ripped a prop to post shop, punched my wife in the face. And we're just standing there going, but it went from zero to that. Yeah. Zero. I mean, zero. The kid was fine for months in class. And then all of a sudden, boom, one day. And we're standing there going, how come we were never told this? So you're right. I, I think there's so much we need to learn. Jeremy, what do you want to take us out with? Um, the biggest thing I would say is don't be afraid to admit what you don't know. And if there's somebody better qualified, direct them to that person. I mean, we are so afraid that we're going to make a mistake instead of trying to learn and just be the best you can for the students. You're not going to know everything. Nobody does. But if you're trying to help them, even if it's by sending them to somebody else, you still were there for that student. And that's all that matters. Yeah. And we do it so easily, right? Cause we're not an MMA school. We have no challenge saying, Hey, there's a UFC gym down the street. I have, no, I have no challenge saying that. I don't try to sell them Kenpo Karate if they want MMA. I don't. So why can't we do that when it comes to children with special needs? You know, mm-hmm. why don't we do that at many times? Is it, I think it's the lack of education. So we have a book down in the corner. So please, gentlemen, I'm going to challenge you publicly. I would love you to post in the Disruptor group. Keep educating us. Share tidbits. Share videos. You have a breakthrough on a teaching method. Share it with us. But... You know, I know from knowing you guys personally that you work with children with special needs. I would love to see that, though, be a, a big presence at that Disruptor Group page. Can I count on you, you for that? Sir. All right. Thank you so you. much. Big hand for Thank Eric you. and Jeremy. Thank Jeremy, you. I'm nice wrap to up meet this. you. Thanks you for all you do. Thank you, sir. Wow. You know, I, 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 I went through humility. I was at one point I felt like I wanted to cry. You know, I mean, what we do is not easy. And I know our hearts are in the right place and that we truly want to help everybody and that walks through our door. But I believe without proper education, we could also be very harmful. So if we make the conscious choice that we would like to work with students with special needs and not because it's another revenue stream, but generally, like Eric said, it's discovered his why. It's become his purpose. Right. And I believe Eric will be much more effective working with children with special needs versus the school owner that's going, hmm, here's a revenue stream I haven't tapped into. So be mindful of that. And if it's not a demographic you want to serve, then be okay with that. 
be okay with that. But on the yin to the yang, whoever that school owner is that laughed at Jeremy when he walked through the door, right, wanting to learn martial arts and because of his special needs, you, you know, you laughed him out of your school. I hope whoever that is in the world has, has, has found a different awareness and empathy, not sympathy, because I really, in all my working with, with students with special needs and their parents, they don't want sympathy, but they truly will embrace empathy. When you seek to understand people and situations that you may not be educated in or agree with or understand, that's empathy at the highest level. And I believe we're in a unique position to do that. Cool? So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Jeremy's post, Eric's post, and that, now that I've welcomed it openly, in uh, the Disruptor Group, I hope that they do that. So hey, to my sponsors who make this possible, my studio, Kids of Life Skills, LC Accounting, Market Muscles, you know, thank you. Because it's moments like this that their support means a whole lot to me. Um, and I gotta share again, it's time life change. This is, this is who I am. This is the way I work. I'm always pushing boundaries. I'm willing to get dirty. I'm willing to look, have the guy with egg on his face. I'm always gonna be willing to do that. If I believe it's going to help the martial arts industry be better than it was yesterday. And that's, that's, that's really who I am. You, what's, how's the saying go? Old ways do not open new doors. When I saw that post, that's really it. I'm not asking you to give up your values. I'm not asking you to abandon your martial arts. I'm just saying, hey, let's really look at ourselves and ask why only 1% of the population do martial arts. And don't wear it with ego and say, well, because martial arts is elite. We teach the you know, dim mock death technique. No, I believe martial arts should be accessible to everybody. And when I go watch my kids play soccer and everybody plays soccer or everybody plays Little League, I walk away scratching my head going, how do we get everybody to do martial arts? And don't tell me it's a money thing because I know how much money we plunk down on cleats and shin guards and tournaments and traveling and the whole nine yards. And it's much more than anybody would ever spend in martial arts, ever, ever. So ask yourself those hard questions as we did today in the event. And think about joining us for It's Time Life Change, November 13th through 16th. Think there's a couple of spots for the four days, but I do know we have the spots for the two days and the one day. Sam on will only be here for the two day. It's not going to be recorded with Sam, and we will have a virtual event for that Sunday. Cool? All right. Man. Man. My head's just... just just filled. So we're not going to give away anything today. Um, I just felt that was very, not what I wanted to do today with the show, but I want to say, hey, thank you to everybody for choosing to share your time with us. Please, when this video goes live and it's posted, share it with as many school owners as you can. Two things will happen. One, it might develop a deeper passion and empathy for working with students with special needs. Or two, you will decide this is not my wheelhouse. This is not a demographic I'm going to work with. And I'm simply going to refer them to somebody else. And I will go through the education to find out who can serve them in my community. So when somebody walks through my door and says, hey, my kid's on the high functioning end, will you work with them? And you say, that's not my forte. But you know what? I know with total confidence this is the person you should be going to to help your child with special needs. Either way, it's a win-win. We either become really educated and passionate about working with children with special needs or we're passionate to refer them to somebody who can serve them really 
really well. Cool? This is Success Never Sleeps. I am Brandon Beliso. Please, until we talk again, you go out there, live your best life. Mm -hmm.